Hi, I'm Chris Alcohoy. And um, thank you, Tom, kind of, I can't see him, for asking me to do this. I would prefer to get a root canal than be standing here talking to you. Um, seriously. Um, but I know that it's just my turn. Somebody here needs to hear what I have to say. And um, it's my privilege to share my experience, strength and hope. And I hope nothing more than whoever you are that needs to hear what I have to say, get what I got here, what I found here, because it's nothing more than miraculous. And um, uh, congratulations to the birthday people. Um, I love birthdays because you get a kind of a context and get to, to know, you get a kind of a sense of who people are and um, welcome to the newcomers. And um, and anybody here who's struggling. It's like we're all here, right here, right now for a reason. There's some kind of divine appointment we all have and I just wanna honor that. Um, so I just full disclosure and Tom actually uh, gave me permission um, to say, I mean, I just swear like a trucker sometimes when I'm sharing and people find me really offensive. So if you're offended, tell somebody else because I already am horrified. Um, I don't swear in my normal life um, now anymore, but for some reason when I start to share my story, sometimes it can really get pretty gnarly. Um, it's just more kind of impactful if you're throwing F-bombs around somehow. And, um, and I'm also, I need you to know that I'm truly horrified at my story, which is why I don't like sharing it. Because um, I'm so, 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 so far away from who that person was. And in many cases, I don't relate to who I was anymore, thank God. But I'm terrified of, of opening that, like letting the genie out of the bottle and, and that, that being my real existence and that being my real experience of this life. So um, again, thank you so much, Monica, for, I, I love Monica, Monica and I are really good friends. And uh, I asked her to specifically share because my story is such an extreme version of hers. Like it's, we don't have anything in common in that case. I think it's really important that people know that there's all kinds of alcoholics, al alcoholism shows up in lots of different ways. And you don't have to have a story like mine to actually belong and qualify here, but I absolutely qualify to be here. And of that, I'm really sure you probably will be by the time I'm finished. Um, so I, um, my sobriety date is October 13th, 1983. I'm 38 years sober, almost 39. And there's nobody more shocked that I'm sober than me. And I'm still here because I didn't come here wanting to be here. This was the last place I wanted to be. And I had no idea what would happen to me here, happen, would happen or even could happen to somebody. Um, and I was, um, I'm from Dublin, Ireland. I was um, on October 13th, I was walking into my second treatment center. I had been sentenced to this treatment center because I had been deported from Germany because uh, I had run away from the first treatment center. So I was in much more trouble this time than I had been previously. And this time I knew that the first time had been right because they had called me. I knew I was a, I'm a chronic drug addict, I'm a heroin addict, and I knew I was a drug addict. Um, and I, know, I knew I was an alcoholic, um, but this time I knew that I was a, um, a hopeless, helpless, pathetic alcoholic. And I had never had that kind of perspective. I always thought it was, I am committed to dying active. I am proud of who I am. I know exactly what I am, but I'm going out. I'm going to just drop dead 
or I'm going to get murdered because girls like me get murdered or he just OD or something. And I was perfectly okay with those circumstances. Like that was kind of the train I'm on. I'm just going to milk it. I'm going to, it wasn't even fun is not even a thing that was in my world. Like I'm just going to be as evil as possible and just get what's mine and do whatever I need to do um, to get off this planet. Like to me, I thought, and still do sometimes that death is a promotion. And I just couldn't wait for it to be my turn to just get out of here as fast as I can. And weirdly, because I'm more homicidal than suicidal, it never occurred to me to kill myself. I, mean, I was just going to kill all you, but it never even dawned on me one time to kill myself. Um, but I was terribly. Um, so I'm walking into this treatment center. I have been sentenced and now I can't leave the country. I'm from Dublin, Ireland, and I hate Ireland. Because Ireland to me is the cause of all my problems and it's where all the bullshit is. And Ireland is a small place, so you can't get away with acting the way I'm acting. It's too small of an environment. Like you burn all the bridges really fast. And I'm the kind of person who burns bridges. I burn the bridge that I'm standing on very fast. And that was something that was really hard to learn sober, to not burn the bridge you're standing on. At least be smart enough not to flamethrow your whole, your occurrence, like, right? Um, but I was, uh, I was in this time round, I had an inkling that they had been right because I had no way out. Now I was trapped in a place where I had, um, I couldn't act out and I didn't really know what to do my, with myself. And I was being sentenced to another institution and I was 19 years old. And although that was what the story is for all my friends and all the people in my life, I just knew I didn't belong. And thank God it wasn't an institution. It was a treatment center. And the good news is, is if you, we don't belong in institutions, in my opinion. We stick out in an institution because we're trying to game it or be the coolest person in the institution. But the, this, the real psych people really belong there. And that's what I knew. I was actually going into a treatment center that was loving, kind, and amazing. And the first place I had been in had, was a... Um, a treatment center where they were going to cure you. Like it was kind of a Phoenix house. I don't know if you have them here, but they were kind of psych you and they're going to fix you and they're going to do all the stuff that was big in the eighties what they used to do. They thought they were going to cure you. And then that you graduate from that from with the drink because at that point I was being diagnosed a heroin addict and they were going to cure me from heroin. So I had run away from there because they wanted me to clean toilets with the toothbrush and shave my hair. It was like the hair, I was just fucking ran away. I'm like, I am not going. <laughs> Like I might like cooperate, but I'm not shaving my damn hair for anybody or whatever. I just, I wasn't even listening. I was there because my boyfriend had um, kept snitching us out and had gotten us into all kinds of trouble because he knew that how much trouble we were in. And he was literally trying to save my life. So he stayed and I ran away and I ended up, I was on my way to Germany or to Switzerland, somehow got stuck in Germany. And this time I decided I'm only going to drink. Like I'm not going to drugs are really why I'm getting into all this trouble I'm only going to drink. And I get into a billion times more trouble drinking because now I don't even know where I am. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I don't know, I'm just pathetic. Like I'm turning into this pathetic person. And to qualify why I was um, deported is we, I was hanging out with a bunch of thieves. I'm a I used to think I was a professional thief and a professional drug addict, by the way. And I was just really, that was my thing. That was my identity. And um, we had stolen all the stuff, which we normally did. Somebody invited some stranger into our group and we came home to our squat in Germany and all of our stuff was gone because the new guy had stolen all of our stuff and I reported him to the police. <laughs> like, I went to the police indignant to report this asshole who had just stolen all of our hard 
burning like all of her stuff and it was all like on the list of stone so I had just guy just walk myself and that's what I mean about pathetic like it's not there's nothing cool about any of this stuff it was we were animals we didn't care who you were and um and it was just the way it was and that's who I actually am if I pick up a drink I had no progression so for me good stepping so now I'm in the stripping center and they wanted to introduce me to Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and I had been told in the other treatment center that that was pathetic like you guys are all kind of like still in the problem and blah 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 so I had this kind of preconceived thing about what it was because my boyfriend still was in that treatment center and now he was like Joe Cool in the whole place because he was like a year and a half on and um and he was driving a lot of the stuff they were confronting me on in my treatment center and thank god for him that man saved my life and to finish that part of this story is that he did graduate from that treatment center and was dead within about six months because they didn't cure him they just tore him down and they didn't build him up and i always think i'm sober because he desperately wanted to be clean and sober he wanted a life his father had been a drunk he wanted a super, he wanted this good life and he knew somehow you could get it. I didn't give a shit about it. Um, and he, I sometimes think I'm clean and I'm still here because of him because I didn't want this. I had no indicate. I didn't want to even fight for me because going back a little bit, it's, it's, I just had done so many horrible things when I was active and on the streets and what put me on the streets is I come from this crazy kind of family dynamic. Girls like people like me don't end up on the streets by accident. Um, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but it's relevant. And I'm not normally so graphic, so I apologize, but it's relevant to my story for what's currently happening in my life. Um, and I apologize again if this is too much for especially the men's room. So I am um, um, my so fast back go all the way back um, when I was little. My father is actually a pedophile, and he um, was very torturous. Pedophiles actually have a profile, and his profile was very young children. And he also had a factory. So we have my dad as an egg pulp producer, right? So he had this big ass factory right next to our house. Our house was there, on the factory was here. So once he was finished abusing us, we became his slaves in his factory. But my parents are also incredibly wealthy and, and they don't drink or smoke. And they're freaking amazing people. Like they're really gracious and charming and beautiful. And everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. And most people were really jealous of, the, of me. My people wanted everything we had because we had all the stuff. And my parents looked really good. So when I was about, by the time I was about five years old, my dad and my brothers and sisters used to take us to his factory at night. The workers would go home and he'd take us to his factory at night and then we would have to pack eggs until it got bright. And I don't know if you have anything to do. I don't know if you have any experience with farming, but that is a job that you really can't pay people to do. It's so disgusting because it stinks so bad. And that was just my thing. And the skill sets that I got from there is I'm a brilliant worker and I have a shit ton of experience working and managing things. Like there was a big payoff for me in the rest of my life. But when I was little, it was really torturous. So I was always running away. So I'm the girl who has everything. Everybody wants to be me. And I'm fucking running away all the time because he was beating us to death practically. Um, so my mom showed me how to do makeup when I was about five, seven years old, because now I'm starting to show up in school um, as different. Um, so 
my mom showed me how to do makeup and I perfected it and have still went on to own a cosmetic company and shipped to 40 countries all over the world. Like there's always a payoff to some of these things. There's always a good side to all of these things. So um, my mom is, um, they're putting, I'm learning how to do makeup and I'm fucking brilliant at the makeup because I'm really creative because I'm missing so much school. Cause I don't, my parents didn't want me to go to school. A, I'm getting attention at school, but also um, I'm going to inherit their company. Like we're already rich. So I don't need to have anything. I just need to know how to do their shit. So at the same time, they were amazing. We went all over the world. I had these great vacations. Like my parents did an enormous amount of things right. Like the shit that they got wrong, they got really, really wrong. But the things that they got right, they got really right. So what that did is I was always running away. And the second I picked up a drug, it was my solution. My parents don't drink or smoke, so I couldn't drink because they would smell it. But boy, could I find powders and all kinds of stuff. And in Ireland at the time, there was a heroin epidemic. It's famous. It's kind of like what's going on right now with the fentanyl. And I was a sucker. I just went straight into it. And I fell right really far because my parents wouldn't look for me if I was missing. They didn't want any heat. They couldn't call the police. They couldn't do anything. So there's this big freaking crazy stuff going on. But what it left me with is that I don't trust normal. Just really fucked up when you're trying to live a life. And I trust weird. So people who were weird and the exact opposite of them were really attractive to me, which drove me into weirder and weirder and darker and darker places because I have no compass. The other thing that was told to me a lot when I was young is that I am, I'm not being beaten. I fell down the stairs. And even to this day, sometimes I think I'm clumsy and I'm not clumsy. I just, that's, so now I have this thing that what I think and what I see is not happening what I think and believe is not happening. And I just want to go. And that's what ended up on those streets and kind of now fills in some of that story, why I was such a crazy, crazy lunatic. And, um, and when I was active, when I was at my level of diseases, I'm pregnant and can't stop. And I go all the way through pregnancy and still can't stop and have a dead baby. And that doesn't even stop me because I just want to get off this planet. And I can't, yeah, I don't even care that I'm on this Hampshire wheel because I can't see it. Like I just have this blind spot and I'm so engulfed in this disease that I don't know who I am or where I am and I really don't care. So when I showed up in this treatment center and have these people trying to save me, I don't want you to save me. I'm exhausted. And I don't want to have to face all this stuff. Like I'm so hopeless about any possibility of things being different for me, somebody like me. And I don't even know that I have a disease. I don't even know that I'm worth saving. And I sure as shit didn't want to make the effort to try and even show up. But people loved me and that treatment center was the first time I got a clue and a view. It's almost like they had to physically get the drugs and alcohol out of my body in order for me to be able to see how much of my problems were actually my disease. And I really got that I'm addicted and that I'm actually being a puppet to something that was even a bigger monster than my dad. That I had no choice in any of the decisions I was made. It's almost like I'm being dragged and I didn't know it. So I'm in the treatment center for the first time. Like I, I was actually listening. I don't even know, it was a miracle. I suppose that's what happens. That, that all of a sudden I had a completely different point of view. And for the first time in my life, I saw that, holy shit, whatever about him being a victim in my house, 
I'm damned if I'm going to be a victim to something that maybe I can get out of. Like, I'm damned if I'm going to stay like this. Now, coming into Alcoholics Anonymous and hanging out of you seemed like actually hell. I thought this was a cosmic joke. There is no God because I used to play for, pray to God when I was little. And I thought, this is just what happens to assholes. And I'm just going to be hanging out with you. Like, we're not inside, but normally lights are on. Everybody's happy. And I'm dying inside. And in my case, some people just can't relate to me. They're just, I'm such a whack job. And people kind of, I, I feel like I'm the stupidest or the, the craziest person in the room. And I need to be able to stay because I know no matter what happens to me, if I pick up, I'm never going to make it back. And I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of surviving. I'm afraid of living. I'm not going to be lucky enough to, I'm, all my friends are dead. Anybody I really loved or was used, used with. I'm terrified that if I pick up, I'm going to live, not die. I don't care about dying, even, even today. I'm afraid I'm going to survive this thing. And I'm going to survive until I'm 100 years old. And I'm just going to get raped and beaten and just ugly. I'm going to be have a perfectly organized shopping cart. Like I'm going to be the, the crazy person with lipstick on. Like that's just me with the mangy freaking fur coat thinking I've got it all going on. That's actually who I am if I put one drink in this body. And it doesn't seem fair. Like we're all drinking water and tea and coffee and stuff. It's like, I don't know if I just pick up one beverage that I'm allergic to will have me living under a bridge. It doesn't seem really fair. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just on any level just sounds insane. But that's actually why I need to be here and keep remembering that. Because I'm the disease. The disease is between my ears and the disease. I have a physical allergy and a mental obsession. And if I don't keep that right in front of my nose at all times, I'm fucked. Somebody like me, because I'm, I'm an extreme kind of a person. Um, in anything I do, I don't think like him, like, why are you aiming for the middle? I'm aiming for every, I want it all. Now that I'm here, I want it all. Um, because I got a shot at it. So, um, how much time do I have? 10 minutes left. Okay. So, um, I want to make sure that I spend most of my time hopefully talking about my recovery. So, so now you've created the context of who came in here and what happened. And now I do want to be able to describe what happened to me. And I am, thank God, a seeker, which is why I had gone to so much extremes out there. That skill set or that type of personality type has served me really well in this fellowship because I know it's a worldwide fellowship and there's thousands, millions of us. And people have these extraordinary lives because after a little while hanging out here, I, I figured out these people have badass lives and something's going on here that's special is I really related to having a spiritual melody. Like I really related to something like there, I am, if I'm spiritually aligned, which I got a sense of when I was in that treatment center, I'm really good. Like if I'm spiritually alive, as dark as it is, it's as bright. And I got really hungry and thirsty and seeking about where, who has that going on? How do you find that? And what, what makes that work? And then they had said that it's a pathway to God. Like this program is a pathway to God. And I really thought that God, for me, I need to address this because I was so hopeless because I thought if there was a God, I had gone too far. And somebody pointed out to me how arrogant that thinking is. 
like you're really only a little grain, grain of sand, sand, like I'm a little grain on the sand or whatever, like one of the little grains. I'm not that significant that the almighty, this extraordinary universe has a judgment on me. And then I was told that if I really understood and practiced the eighth step, that I would get the freedom that I needed, that that uh, the answer for this problem was in the eighth step for me. So I got really curious about what those steps meant because I told, I was told that they were spiritual tools and words uh, because I didn't go to high school. I'm, I don't read and write very well. I'm not stupid at all, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to keep up with you for doing a little test of that you write everything down on. Um, but I had, um, I just got a shame attack. I hate admitting that, but um, I I just knew that um, I just left my body. I need to get back in my body for a second. It gets me every time because I didn't go. I didn't go to school. Um, the advantage of not going to school is that I don't actually play by the rules. Like I don't even know there are rules half the time because I wasn't kind of whatever you do in school make you follow along and cooperate. Um, and it's been the hardest thing for me to do in recovery is actually to cooperate. So somebody like me desperately needs a guide. I need a sponsor and I need a sponsor who I'm impressed with. And it's not impressed that why I was, why I did the whole gym attack thing. It's the words. I don't necessarily respond to words. I respond to, there's a kind of a spiritual vibe that's here or there's an action, or there's an innateness that we have, or at least I have, then I'm able to pick up if something is real or not, or if something is good for me or not. And I have to keep moving towards that, but I needed guides to show me how to do that because I came into this fellowship with really bad skill sets, obviously. I'm just angry and defiant and belligerent and kind of to everything, even good stuff especially the good stuff because I don't trust normal. So my lesson or my experience here in Alcoholics Anonymous is that if I didn't learn how to practice the principles, and I, I loved what um, one of our birthday celebrants said about what do these principles mean and exactly how do you practice them? And how do you practice them in your life, your current life? And how do you get right with you? And through the most amazing scenario, I've been able to fly right and be extraordinarily successful and fix all of those bridges. There, I do regret the past and there are things that I would desperately love to change, but I have forgiven myself to the point that you can. And my, my experience now is just about being helpful, which brings me to the scenario that I want to make sure I get to before I leave you. So I have, Ireland is a hard place for me. I did get off probation and moved to the United States. I moved all over the world, but I ended up in the United States and have been here a long time, about 30 years. And I rarely go home, even though I got clean and sober there and have a fabulous fellowship in that country. I rarely go there. It's a lot of my pain and I just don't like the fucking place. Like, I always think when people go, oh, where are you from? And you know, because everybody loves Ireland except me. <laughs> I feel like I'm like a bad Irish person. And, and, um, and I've learned how to just be polite and gracious and appreciate you and, and acknowledge it and whatever. But anyway, so I very rarely go home. And if I go home, I always bring like a chaperone, somebody who knows me because being around my parents, my dad ended up going to jail and, and spent a lot of time there. And, and my mom and dad are still together and he got out of jail and whatever and I have brothers and sisters I have two three two brothers and one sister and we're all clean and sober decades like we all got out of hell 
and have all gotten all of the gifts of here. But so I rarely go home by myself. I rarely go home and I, I never go home by myself. And about um, I just turned 58 and it was my birthday for Memorial Weekend. And I thought, what do I want to do for my birthday? And I didn't want to do all the stuff that I had available to me. And I got this inkling, which is really weird for me, but I have learned how to trust that. I have spiritual practice and I understand how it works and what it sounds like for me is I got this inkling, go home. I'm going to go home and spend my birthday with my parents because they're really old now. And I'm just, I just got this inner sense. It's for me, it's um, about practicing the 11th step. It's about that surrender. And I got this sense. It's like, get on the plane. And I listened to that stuff because I've made a shit ton of money behind those instincts. And, and I've made really good decision, decisions about those instincts because I'm aligned. I have learned how to meditate, pray and, and know what the fuck is going on with me? I'm not lost anymore because I know how to practice. So I got on the plane by myself, which is very unusual. And I decided I'm going to show up on my birthday to, to surprise my parents, to thank them. I just wanted to be with my parents. They made me and I probably am never going to see them again because they're really old. So my brother picked me up and I walked in the door of a house. I don't know that house. They were court ordered to move there. I've never been in the house that they live in. And I walked in and of course they were thrilled. My, my, my father knew I was coming. My brother had told him so he could prepare my mom because my mom's in a wheelchair at this point and really sick. And I walked into the house and my, within six hours I had called an ambulance and my mother is actually still in the hospital. She was dying. She had a chronic infection and she was literally about to drop dead. And I had taken care of my ex-husband for a long, long time. He was very ill. And I knew that what the symptoms looked like. So I ended up, my father then had pneumonia. And I spent five days taking my father from one doctor to another, healing him. Because trying to figure out this pneumonia. And I went from doctor to doctor. I spent five days in that house with my father by myself talking about his life when he was little. And I got on the plane when I was leaving and I felt like I had won the lottery because I had already forgiven them. It's all beyond water behind the bridge. I can't stay clean and sober if I don't clean that stuff up for me. Like anything that has that massive amounts of significance or that shaped me, if I don't deal with it clean and sober, and it took a long time and I did it gently and I did it with a lot of support and guidance. I didn't make any of these decisions myself. But when I got on the plane, when I was coming home, we got stuck in freaking runway for about two hours and I was crying and somebody said, are you okay? And I said, yes, I'm fine. I feel like I won the lottery. But I don't know exactly what happened. And I can't still really articulate what happened, but it's beautiful. Like it's beautiful. That man tortured the fuck out of me. And there's nothing there but appreciation. There's nothing there. But I'm grateful for all the stuff that I got. And I get to live this extraordinary life from here. Because there's fucking real power here. Standing here, having the benefit of all this extraordinary spiritual law that I get to practice is worth fighting for. And I'm really glad I stayed. And I'm really glad I'm scared of using because I'm afraid of surviving this. And I'm really glad for the people that I got because I have sought out the most extraordinary 
masters of how to work these steps and how to practice these programs and principles. And my one of the things that my sponsor had always taught me, I cannot forget who I am. I am one drink away from opening that fucking Pandora's box. One. I'm not under any illusion that it will get better. And I can't imagine what it would be like. And I don't think I'll make it back. But to stay is extraordinary. I hope you find or hope you got something from what I just said. I don't think I saw it too much. Um, <laughs> and um, I am honored to be here with you. This was special for you, for me. I hope it was for you. And um, thank you. <laughs>